Welcome to Philosophy Club. This is part one of the Philosophy Club meeting recorded on June 4th, 2023. In it, Akib, Ben, Katie, McKenzie, Michael, and Noah discuss luxury, shallowness, and villainy. All right, cool. So yeah, Ben, you want to start with a, a recap of last time real quick? Or no, do Noah and Noah intro. Oh yeah, no, no, no. Let's get you an introduction. Oh, and I'm we got a new guy here today. I just listened. Uh, all right, yeah, I'm, I'm Noah, I guess. How I came to Philosophy Club is when I met Logan. We were doing our semester abroad together back in our junior year, eight years ago. Where are you now? Logan what do you do for Logan? Um, Army officer right now. Uh, well, we're great. glad to have you, man. Oh, wait, sorry. No, please, go ahead. I was saying um, the answer, the... The why philosophize or your favorite philosopher. One of the, the poll questions is what everybody answered, I think. Uh, skip. <laughs> I'll, I'll come back. I'll answer that eventually. But let me. Okay. Also, Mackenzie, um, did you introduce yourself last time? No, I didn't. I didn't stay in the podcast. Um, but I am Mackenzie. I am lucky enough to have lo known Logan my entire life since he's my brother um so i was kind of around for the original philosophy stuff but not that interested in it so not always in attendance um but i enjoy just learning about how other people the world so that's why i'm here okay great good deal all right uh yeah ben let's let's i'll, I'll give you the floor here if you want to recap yeah, so just for Noah's context, we had a, a fairly long discussion last time about the importance of values in relationships. And one of the things we spent a lot of time talking about was trying to define values. And we ended up having trouble differentiating between values and preferences. And we had a, a fairly prolonged discussion trying to figure out what the difference between those two things are. And one thing I don't think we ever explored was the idea of universality as a dimension that separates those two things. So in other words, if I hold a particular value, I would think that, you know, for example, honesty. If I think honesty is important, I also think it is important that other people hold that same value. Whereas a preference, I don't think there's a particular importance if other people hold the same preference as I do. So the example we gave last time was peanut butter. Um, if I prefer smooth peanut butter, I don't actually think it matters if anybody else prefers smooth peanut butter. But if I value honesty, I do think it is important that other people also value honesty. Uh, yeah, I kind of like that as a, maybe a, a differentiating factor. Um, I'm trying to think if there's maybe any like fringe cases where that would be well, once like, I'll be interested once like keep comes back because one of the classifications of values he gave was aesthetic and I'm not sure how aesthetic values would be universal <laughs> like if you Speaks can say everyone devil. ought to love everyone it, ought right, to love right. the godfather <laughs> if you don't it's a problem values don't have to be universal Okay, do you have an example? Um, yeah, like, um, I got to think about this. 
I guess the value itself, like you were talking about honesty, right? Yep. Um, it's, it's not that they have to be universal. It's that I split them up into like aesthetic, ethical, aesthetic and ethical, um, or like aesthetic and moral. And there's like a, there's like a weird relationship between those two or not. Like that's like a big topic of philosophy, whether there is or not. Um, uh, well, yeah. So I guess then using my, so I think, I think what I, what I, what I was, I'm sorry. What I was saying last time was that a preference, the preference is the result. Like its actual root is a value. So your preference for peanut butter, if you explore that deep at a deeper level, like there's probably some sort of aesthetic value behind your taste in peanut butter, like in crunchy peanut butter. It, but like peanut butter itself is not the actual value is what I was saying. They don't have to necessarily be universal, I think. Yeah, so I guess that's where my classification would wouldn't be compatible with your classification. Right. So you're you're saying that they have to be universal, that everyone has to agree on them. Well, or at least that you think that there's sort of a an, an ought behind it. There's like a normative force behind your opinion of it. If you hold it to be a value, it's something you think everyone else ought to also value. Um, whereas if you think it doesn't matter if other people agree, then it would probably be a preference. Welcome, Katie. And she is in a car. <laughs> I think, Ben, I think the way you kind of said that makes the most sense as far as how I understand values. Like, values are something that I I hold everybody to and, and select people in my life based around those. Preferences, I don't care if people like musicals or not. I would prefer maybe to go to a musical than a play. But the silly things like that, I, I, I classify where... I would also put as a preference. Yeah, it doesn't. Ever watch, I'm sorry. Don't you ever watch a musical and go like this? This ought to be this way in a musical. Like a musical that is ought to be like a specific way. And then haven't you ever seen like a bad performance and been like, okay, that ought not to have been that way. That ought to have been. Yeah, none of those do I think touch on my values. I mean, unless the the, the content of the musical, if it's about redeeming somebody that murdered their whole family, I think maybe I would have a harder time getting into that because then it touches more on something I might value, which is like respecting others' lives. But I wouldn't say if I watched a musical and, and that musical and my friend was like, I didn't like it. I'm not gonna be like, we're, we're not this is my preference. You tracking? Mm. Yes. And that's sort of been, is that, that's kind of what you mean is like there's, the, the main category is that we hold others to this, in your opinion. Yeah, to me, that is the dimension that separates a preference from a value. And I have not been able to come up with a counterexample. So are you, with at least your own values, are, are you taking in the whole picture where if somebody makes a choice that goes against your values, you might still agree with that? Because, like, for example, like a lot of the people that here will like maybe go see war one day or something like that. If they're taking a human life and that's your value, are you able to broaden out and see the big picture and go, oh, to protect the lives of many? How, how do you break that down when you're diving into things that conflict with your values? Or maybe that's not a value you hold. Yeah, so I think, I mean, there were two strains that we had during the conversation. The actual question was, can we get along with people who have differing values than us? And I think, yes. 
uh, just because I personally would like to see my values be more universal uh, does not mean people who don't hold those values are, are incompatible with me in any way. Uh, but I you get to hold other people to those values. Say that again. Didn't you say, wasn't it that you had to hold other people to the, like a value is something you hold someone else to like others do. It is. I might, that I, I might want to push back on that anyways. Um, yeah. I, don't, I maybe have a counterexample, and that's just that, like, I personally value the arts a lot. Um, I think that they're very worthwhile. But if someone else tells me, like, I don't really care about art that much, like, it's kind of whatever. Um, I don't, I'm not like, oh, but you should. You know, I'm like, oh, you really ought to. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Like, it, it's not, doesn't feel like something I think they ought to feel. Um, but I would still consider it probably a, a value of my own. I don't think it's just a, a Reference for. Oh, okay. Art. So, all else equal, do you think the world would be a better place if more people appreciated art? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All else equal, probably. So, all right. Maybe then. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I like, you know, I prefer crunchy peanut butter, but I really don't think the world would be effectively any different if everyone else did too. So, because okay. we're. Yep, about it. Because we're functioning in this world, you can still have a coworker who cheats, which I think is what Michael said in the example, but you're not going to have a best friend who cheats. Like, you can still act, coexist with your values, but it just limits the level of closeness. Yeah, I mean, at least through my eyes, this isn't an issue of imposing my values on other people. It's just very abstractly, if other people did hold these values, do I think the world would be better? So, like, yeah, if, if someone cheated, I think I could still have a close relationship with them, but I think the world would still be better if they hadn't cheated. Cheated on what, like on a test or like on their spouse? Uh, Mackenzie, what example were you using? Uh, I think Michael's example was somebody that cheats on a partner of some sort. And then, um, yeah, that's yeah last time we, we were, we were thinking, um, or the example I kind of gave was like, yeah, I could be, I've got plenty of, or not plenty, I've had coworkers who have cheated on their spouses that I knew about. And that wasn't like, it's not going to get in the way of our working relationship. Um, but it would have a hard, I would have a harder time being close friends with someone who cheated on their significant other, and I would have a very hard time ha being in a relationship with someone who cheated on their significant other. Right. Um, yep. So it does seem like there's maybe a line. At the very least, it, it there's a ratio to a certain extent of closeness to like the degree to which values matter. Cool. Cool. Do we want to move on to a different topic now? Oh yeah, will you recap the child topic? Because my mom had so many opinions that actually were really good points that then I was like, oh, okay, I can look at this. Because when I originally listened to it, I think I took away something very different than she did. So Ben, if you want to recap what you talked about. Mackenzie, I'll let, I'll let you recap that one since you have additional points to bring. Well, I can't remember where everybody stood, but... It was, it was sort of the question of if it was moral to have children. And then um, a, lot of, a lot of things that Kira brought up were talking about, you know, it might, it might be selfish, but that doesn't mean it's immoral. And so when I listened to it, I, I basically thought that it was amoral. And I understood this word as like, this is neutral. And my mom was... 
understanding this word as amoral as somebody who does wrong but doesn't know better. So then once we established moral neutral, she felt like, well, when somebody adopts a dog, because that's something I relate to, you don't ever think of this as neutral. You think positive thing. And we didn't really touch on adoption at all. But when I take adoption into consideration, I can only think of that as a moral positive. Maybe maybe conceiving a child yourself might be still, in my eyes, moral neutral. But if you're bringing in another life, whether it's, you know, a legal adoption or whether you're just raising somebody else's child that you know, um, I think in those instances, that choice is moral. I think it might be a little more than that. I'm sorry. No, please go ahead. Like, it's like when people thank someone in the military for their service. Like, I think it's somewhat, like, shallow. Um, I don't like hearing it. One, because it's like, it depends on the manner of your service. Um, I get it. Like, everyone wants to thank you for your service. But one... Everyone serves society some way. My parents are public school teachers. I think they've served society in a much better, healthier way than I ever will. Um, and uh, so it's the manner in which you have children or adopt children or raise children, right? Like that's, I think that's what makes what you're doing moral or immoral. Like it's, it's, it's how you do it. I mean, I'm sure plenty of people adopt children and fuck them up in a lot of ways and do it horribly. Well, with That's that, because there's even exceptions to some of it, I think then there's no established, like, is it moral, is it not? It's got to be like a situation based. We can't blanketly say, oh, this is moral or this is morally neutral or immoral. I, I don't, I, I think because there's enough things that I could dive into that we can't establish whether it's moral or not without knowing a bigger picture. Yeah, and I do think that that's more or less where we landed last time was that, like, it could be either moral or immoral, and it could also be either selfish or selfless, depending on the specifics of the circumstance and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've personally progressed any farther than that on the issue. I think that's probably the closest to the truth. Would you guys disagree with the statement that life is pretty much just 70 years of suffering? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> No. <laughs> so if we use that assumption, then bringing children into the world is can be considered immoral if you just want to subject someone to 70 years of, you know, essentially hell. Um, yeah, but that's a, that's a ridiculous thing to say because there's no someone in question here. It's a hypothetical someone. So look, if you bring someone to life, then you give, they can still kill themselves. Right. But they can't choose to be born. So that when people make the argument that like, like they didn't choose this, it's like there was no them to choose anything. But if you do allow someone to live, then they can choose whether they want to stay alive or die. So at the end of the day, you're still giving more agency to the thing that exists than you are to the thing that hypothetically you're discussing that doesn't even that's not even, you know, come into existence yet. Yeah, because the minute you have a child, if, if it's birth or adoption or whatever, the minute that a child is yours, it's no longer a question of having the child. It's now a question of raising, which is a different question. No, I'm sorry I interrupted you. What were you going to 
Please yeah, I, I just yeah, I want to get your perspective. I think I like your view, Akib, that um, birth is essentially giving agency to someone, which mm-hmm. I think is a good thing. All right. Well, um, cool. Do we want to do you want to start on a, on a new topic today? Do it. Okay. Um, so we had, I guess, a couple of things that kind of came up in the chat. Um, I was interested in sort of, I guess, consumerism as a broader topic, but specifically I listened to that podcast about um, knockoffs and fakes of um, like designer goods. So I'd be interested to talk about that. Um, I know there was also the talk of whether productivity for its own sake is good, bad, or indifferent. Um, so we could talk about that too. What are we, what are we feeling? I'd say let's start with the consumerism topic. Okay. And then um, we can move on so- to productivity. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the the podcast I listened to, they were was interviewing a woman who did a story for I think the New York Times or something on um, what they called super fakes, um, which are like knockoff designer goods. She looks specifically at purses, um, but you can also look at like shoes or you know any any sort of designer good. Um, and the industry of like designing and selling these knockoff goods, where you could get a purse that like the real thing is like $1,500, but you can get a knockoff that looks exactly the same and is likely made out of material, the same materials sourced from the same place. It's just not actually made by the designer for like $200. Um, and so they were talking about that. And I was wondering the ethics around that, the, both, I guess, is it immoral the the uh, sort of knocking off of this designer good, I guess, like there's you know the intellectual property there, um, and then if it is, I mean, is it is it the per- the producer who's doing the wrong thing, or you know the counterfeiter, or is it the purchaser? Is it both? Is the, and then also, I guess you could take the other side and say, is there something wrong about artificially inflating the price of something due to like because of a brand name or scarcity of the object or something like that? Do we have any thoughts? Well, I guess one of the first things that would strike me... Oh, Oh, hi, Katie. (laughs) (laughs) It took me forever to get my my sound set up correctly, so sorry. I I just, like, hopped in forever ago and didn't say anything. Um, You can go ahead, Ben, but hi, everyone. (laughs) Hi, Katie. (laughs) Good to have you here, Katie. So I was going to say, at least through a fairly simplistic moral view, it seems at least a little bit immoral because there's intentional deception involved. You are, you are saying this item is one thing when it is, in fact, not. So if dishonesty in all cases is immoral, then I guess it would be immoral. But, you know, I tend to be consequentialist, so I don't really see anything wrong with that. Yeah, so um, something that was brought up in that podcast was that, like, a lot of the times the people buying the fakes know that they're buying a fake, um, and they do it on purpose. So they, they as a consumer, aren't being duped. All they're really doing, I guess, is duping the people around them into thinking that they have a more high-end item than they actually do. So it's, I think, at best, being deceptive about your, like, social status or or class level, I guess, Um, which feels a lot less problematic than, you know, being, like, actively, openly, directly deceiving someone about something. Um, I feel like that's, like... If we take a designer to be an artist, then I think that, like, stealing art 
and passing it off it as your own. I think we lost you, but you were saying, yeah, yeah. If, if it's like an artist would probably be wrong. I think is where you're going can with you that. Yes. Now we can hear you. Yeah. Well, I think about, okay, cool. <laughs> um, there's like all these stories of like, she is stealing artist designs and just like selling them as their own. And I feel like it's the same and it's kind of wrong for the same reasons, even though it's easy to kind of just say like through these designers for overcharging. But if they're just artists who just make a living off of making art that people like for whatever reason, I can't really see any reason why it's okay to steal their ideas and pass them off as your own. Just as I wouldn't steal from an artist who just didn't happen to have a lot of money in brand recognition. Yeah, for um, for art, at least, I think it, it has to be 10% has to be changed for it to be a legal thing for you to replicate. So I think the problem is that they are truly trying to steal the the idea of the bag and, and taking from the artist is the only thing that makes me feel like ah, it's, it's probably immoral. Now, I don't love that, um, that there have been also using the bag to try and dupe more people like that that whole side of things also feels kind of gray but i don't think that's like the main issue the main issue is that they're stealing from the artist the 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 super fake people i think i agree with that yeah but yeah it was We're interesting just... I was super fake until i listened to it and then i was like oh yeah that's kind of a problem because like if, if you want to change 10 percent, sell a handbag that that should be fine and also like probably going to dupe enough people that if that's somebody's intention in buying the bag um but the fact that they are completely replicating it is just kind of shitty so what what aspect of the bag is artistically protected here like if i if i make a bag that is like the same shape but and a similar design and i don't try to pass it off as the original i just say this is like you know this is not the name brand this is just a duplicate that is that still wrong? That feels completely moral and also like how creation works. Like we're constantly replicating things or being inspired by things and changing them slightly. All of that, I feel like makes artists better and, and makes other artists stronger. So if you're creating a dupe, that's great. And I'm all in support of it. And if it's cheaper than the original, I'm probably going to buy that. But if you are just stealing and doing a super fake, it's, it goes somewhere different than that. Well, so through that I'm, argument, like the only thing that is protected then is the logo. Well, in a lot of ways, yes, depending on like whether you come up with the idea originally. I'm, I like watches a lot. I don't spend too much money on them, but I, I've spent some money on, on watches. Um, and like you can tell, I can tell a knockoff very easily because of the amount of work it goes on, goes that goes on into like making one of these things, right? That's one thing. Another thing is like Garmin had like the monopoly on GPS watches until this Chinese company called Koros started coming up with really good GPS watches. Very similar design, but they got like eventually they produced even better quality watches for cheaper. Um, so I think I think it's a good thing to be able to like, like Mackenzie was saying, to be able to compete in a free market and then innovate. You know, it, it encourages innovation. Yes, the logo should be protected, but it's also very difficult in, in a free market to like achieve achieve the same quality as like something else. 
that that at a, at the same price or cheaper like if you don't have like the initial startup so like i guess what i'm trying to say is if you are producing something of equal quality like good for you just don't use the logo and if you're not and you're using a logo it ends up really not mattering that much because most people can like tell that that they're knockoffs at least in the so watch that's- world that's um they they kind of address that in this podcast that's the way they they sort of differentiate between your standard knockoff like if you're buying a pair of you know air gordons out of the trunk of a car um like those are obviously knockoffs um but like if you're the what they they brought up with these handbags um like they a lot of times the counterfeiters are buying the leather they're like there's basically they said that when it comes to something like a handbag there is a cap as far as to like there's a limit to how high quality it can actually be um so like these counterfeiters can buy the exact same leather and like and just have skilled craftsmen copy the pattern um for and and undercut the price by you know 300 percent because they all because it's the the cap on quality is just relatively low. Like a watch may be different, but in this area, at least, they were saying it's it's conceivable you can have an equal quality item that is for, practically speaking indistinguishable. Just won't have like the authenticity paperwork. No, it even mentioned in the podcast that it, some of them do like a fake certification with a serial number. Like they were really intentionally trying to deceive anybody that was into luxury handbags to not be able to tell the difference. I like that. <laughs> Why? Because, like, they're putting in the work, man. Like, if you really care about, like, good leather and you really care about quality, damn, I would buy that knockoff 300% off. Like, you know, like, fuck the... Like, this happens, like, the prices are inflated. Like, screw the the monopoly. Like, screw the, you know, Chanel handbag company that's producing these handbags and charging you like 1000% up, upping the price. Um, yeah, that annoys me, but like, so you think legal the artist ought not to be able to do that. They, they should not be able to mark up the price for their, no, I think, I think, like, I think they almost act as a necessary market function because they force the actual branded, uh, established company to come up with new innovative ways to either make their quality better or to like start like protecting their brand, which then kind of it kind of it kind of would help the knockoff the counterfeiter because it just be like proving them right. Like, oh, you just have this logo that you slap onto things and then you make it cost more. I don't know. You know, I I don't think counterfeiters should should do it, but I'm I'm very conflicted about this. Like I like them, <laughs> you know. I'd be like, you're under arrest, but I'd be like, I'm I'm proud of you guys. Like, <laughs> great work, great work. I'm not happy you did it, but it's great work like, you did. I, I literally, if I met one, I'd be like, listen, don't let me catch you doing this ever again. <laughs> like, that's what I would say. <laughs> yeah. Well, Akeem, what Get would that. you say then about um, and let's if we take it directly to the art world, like say. I don't know any contemporary artists. So let's let's say like a Da Vinci was, you know, so there's someone comes along who can create a perfect replica of Da Vinci without you really being able to tell, you know, that at least that like no one but, you know, Da Vinci himself is going to be able to tell the difference. Um all he's you're saying that should, that's fine <laughs> um for them to just pass look, it off as their own work. Well, look, most of these artists like 
the way they train is that they copy like over and over and over again. Right. They make copies of like people. So like, should they be able to pass it off as their own work? Like, no, like, haven't you ever like listened to a song and been like, I fucking wish I wrote that. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> um, but no, like they shouldn't be able to pass it off as their own. Um, no, I don't think it's good to do that. Like, I, I wouldn't want somebody doing that. Like, I wouldn't want somebody copying a work of art. But then again, it's like, a, do I consider a handbag of work of art? Like, me personally, like, I don't know. I pro- probably if I got into handbags, I'd start looking them, looking at them like, oh, man, there's, like, some artistic merit to, like, a handbag. But, like, I wouldn't compare, like, the Sistine Chapel to a handbag. Yeah. I just want to ask, ask real quick, do you think a watch is a work of art? Um... No, like I think I think I think it's kind of well. It, do I consider again? Like like I said, do I consider handbags works of art? No, but if I got into them, I probably would. But again, I wouldn't compare a watch to the Sistine Chapel either, right? Like I wouldn't compare a watch. Um, although there are some like I'm not going to get into it, but there are some <laughs> watch making techniques that like people spend like years making one watch because they're like engraving each gear. It's like insane. It's unnecessary. Like it, it doesn't matter. Um, it doesn't like add anything other than like knowing that somebody spent hours of their time crafting it. But yeah, no, I don't consider either watches or handbags like high art. Yeah, there, there's some works of art that um, like they're unique. So people can buy a print of a picture, but they can't have an expectation that that is in fact that piece of art. And whereas with handbags or watches, you can, you know, oh, is this the original? I don't really care. I just want to have the image. Yeah, but that goes back to Team Duke. A super fake is truly just trying to steal the artist integrity and everything by just ripping the leather, going to the same source. Everything is stolen. And it's not profiting back that artist. Like, if it's the whoever owns the Mona Lisa's rights now, if they want to sell a bunch of prints to people that's within their power because they own the rights to it. But if you don't own the rights to the art, like, yeah, you might not value handbags, but that's just a preference difference in art styles. But I still see it as an art form, even though it's not my cup of tea. And so I have to respect those artists in that field. Right. Yeah, like, I've, I've, I've met people who went to school to be artists, and then their job is to work as artists and designers for these designer labels. And it's just they're regular people like you and me whose job is to be artists, you know. So it feels a little unfair to devalue their work just because you don't personally, like, think it's that great. I also don't think that it's fair to compare, like, any art to see chapel. I mean, obviously, it's just like a spectrum of anything. There's going to be some art that maybe doesn't appeal to you or doesn't seem quite so impactful, but still is art. I agree. Uh, <laughs> that's basically where I landed on this was I think that probably it's it's wrong um, I do like the idea of being I mean I, hey I'm a sucker for a good deal don't get me wrong <laughs> um, but, but um, yeah I guess I would feel a little conflicted like before I'd listen to that I think I probably would have jumped at the opportunity to buy like a, exactly the same knockoff of something but now I'm like well I guess I'll think twice <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not thinking twice. I'm gonna buy it if I want it. If I if it's the same quality, same leather, like even like 
I'd buy it. But like, here's the question then. One, like, what is art, right? <laughs> and, you know, and then two, it's like, okay, when you buy a consumer good, do you buy it so that it can become a, like the, so that you can use the brand to represent something about yourself? And like, how important is that to you? With these luxury goods, I think that's like a lot of the purchasing decision is based around that. Um, like it, yeah, it's, it's all about signaling something. Yeah. Yeah. Like this, this signaling, this signaling thing. Like I get it. Like it's important to people, but like, I, I just, it's hard for me to like, it's hard for me to like, it's just controversial, but it's hard for me to care that like, you know, as much. <laughs> <laughs> I um, understand because I personally don't well I mean I, I relate a bit you know some, you, sometimes you want to look nice you know you want to get dressed up you don't, you don't want to be the one guy at the party you know who like you know everyone's in a suit and they're like oh you got your suit at the Goodwill like alright uh, <laughs> I can tell at least. <laughs> yeah but like what if they couldn't tell right like what if it's like it looks like a good suit you just got it for like thousand dollars cheaper than these guys who went to like some neighboring place so like then it's so the issue is then like you are still sick you're trying to signal a certain degree of like put togetherness or status or wealth or whatever um regardless it's just whether or not on top of that you're wanting to signal like like not only do i put together I'm, i'm also like put together and in the crowd of people who has this like fashionable successful thing um like i oh i was able to get you know the rolex or whatever not just you know some shiny watch but a rolex itself are you wearing one right now Uh, i mean i'm wearing a watch it's not a rolex (laughs) yeah but why why does it matter to the the person purchasing the bag um that either the super fake or the legit bag how do you guys feel about that person and the difference between those two so actually so i read an article is the purchaser like in the wrong for buying a, a super fake is that what you're sort of or or is the is one person somehow a lot more moral than the other yeah because they they have enough money to buy the original or maybe they just choose to spend their money in that way and then somebody with the same amount of money chooses to not spend it in that way is like is one of those people better than the other because there, there's a level of deceit there. I just don't, I haven't really flushed out that side of it. When I listened to the podcast, I only kind of thought about the companies making it. So I wanted to know what you guys thought. I thought a key brought, brought up a good point, how counterfeiting is essentially how um, producers bring competition and innovation to fashion and art. So I don't think that the purchaser is really in the wrong, whereas counterfeiters are, you know, have some kind of merit in that they're producing obstacles for purchasers to buy the things they want, where the original manufacturer is kind of exploiting their desire and just marking the price up. So I would, I mean, I would agree that, that they are obviously adding a level of competition. Um, but I'm sure if you were to ask Rolex, they would say they value competition. I mean, they're lying, but, you know, to a certain extent, they would say they value competition. Um, and, but they would say like they value competition from, you know, Omega or something like that, some other high-end watch brand, not, they don't value the competition that they're getting from right. the right. counterfeiters. Yeah, because it's not moving forward if you're just... Uh, yeah, I don't... 
There's no one making super fakes of Rolexes, by the way. It's just not a thing. And if they, I, I promise you, and if they were, like, they wouldn't call themselves Rolex. They'd call themselves something else. And they would start competing with the Rolex. And there, there are some Japanese companies that have started making watches better than Rolex for cheaper. And um, Okay, but just, let's see what yeah. they are. Into a world where people can successfully steal some guy. <laughs> Rolex and it's like I know how they make everything I'm gonna create a mass production company so now now you can relate to this situation put your mind there how do you feel now not gonna happen because it's just not gonna happen they take it's just not it just doesn't it's just not how it works she said look my luxury good is just too luxurious yeah. to replicate <laughs> dude no look it up look up how long it takes to make a rolex watch like it wouldn't make sense for somebody to try to make it <laughs> with the same quality also i've seen a lot of rolex i've seen a lot of folexes because i've been to southeast asia a couple times all right they're not good like <laughs> like, like they're like they feel like they're gonna pop open and all the springs are gonna fly out um Anyway. Okay, well, all okay, the I, for art, like, art, like a piece of art, if you see a painting and copy it exactly, same everything to the final detail, the person that buys that art, what do you think of them? Me? Yeah, sure. I think they, I think they have, like, I think they value quality. <laughs> and so, that is something the, um, in that podcast, the, the woman who wrote the article, she was saying that she, she when when she knowingly bought this like knockoff bag um the super fake she was like she was like it, it ended up being like a double set of like virtue signaling she was like because i was able to like comfortably fit in in this like higher end society sort of environment i was like i felt you know like oh i've got my i look like i've got this high-end bag but then she was like i also then get to doubly virtue signal by telling people like yeah but i only paid 200 for it and, and like and so there was <laughs> she was like, like, so you know, I have the nice thing, and but also I'm able to virtue signal that I'm frugal, <laughs> and like, it's complicated. I don't know. I like that. I like that lady. Um, <laughs> no, listen, I read this article about about um, Westerners how w Westerners are obsessed with originality, and so when we see ruins, like we want like or we see a temple, we want it to be like the original structure, um, but it's not like a thing in or Americans are especially, but in Europe and in East Asia, like there are structures that they'll rebuild every 50 years and they've done it for the last like thousand years. And like, they don't care that it's built again and again. It's like they build it the same way, but it's their way of preserving. And they don't see it as like, oh, this was not the original wood that this temple was built out of. Like um, the largest wooden structure in the world exists in Japan and they rebuild it every 50 years. Um, so I think, I think we're like, kind of, we're like you, like you said about the art, somebody copied it like the exact same way and like somebody else bought it. Like, yeah, like I don't see the need to like, like have the original, if you can have the same thing, like. Well, you're just a different branch of American. Half of America loves everything new and like pristine. Like my school built a building, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago and they're already redoing it. So it's just like. It's just a different type of modernism or something that you appreciate, but I, I still don't see that has to do with a dupe copying the exact original. I don't see how that has anything to do with that. Because I mean, you're in progress, and a, a super dupe isn't moving anything forward. 
they're just taking your watch and giving it to somebody else at a cheaper price, even though you pay for that watch full price, knowing that the artist aided that watch with like such inspiration or whatever you, whatever you need to be on that side. <laughs> How do we feel, um, uh, say if I have a slight tangent, I guess, unless someone wants to keep going on this. All right, well, I was to say, how do we feel about the value it, of luxury goods, kind of, like, period? When the issue is, um, when quality is not an issue, like, when you can, if you can make an equal bag for $100, like, do we think that, like, it's a good or bad thing to even care about the status of a luxury good beyond the quality? I mean, personally, I don't get it, but I don't think that it's wrong. Just the same way that I don't like Banksy's art, but I don't think that it's, like, wrong that people want to pay that much for it or whatever. It's just a personal preference, I think. I think I agree. I think this is the, it's essentially an amoral issue. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I just wanted to poll and see if there was any, any disagreement there. I do think it's a little bit shallow. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, and even my own, like, even when I like, even like the stuff that I like, I'm like, okay, okay, like, this is kind of empty. <laughs> um, like, so, like, yeah, it, yeah, I don't, I don't think it it's shallow or bad, then, I guess. Because we, we do yes, have an automatic, bad. like, negative connotation on shallow. So well, I guess, yeah, it, that's really what I'm getting to is, is, is that a bad thing? Yeah, I think it is. I think it shows that like we live in a society of excess and um, we have nothing better to do uh, often, oftentimes. Um, and it never ends. Um, like it's this desire to possess something new, but the new thing is always on the horizon. It's like you're always searching for the, you know, you're always searching for the, you're, you're always running towards the rainbow, but you're never reaching it. Um, and so that's that's what it feels like when you get into this world of like buying luxury things because like you can never really be on the cutting edge of, of it um, without like you know consuming what a small like medieval hamlet would uh, in its lifetime. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Have you this heard... is sounding like seventy years of suffering. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I like suffering, so just keep buying those watches. <laughs> but I do it more as a hobby. So if it brings somebody joy, like I don't think less of any hobby, even if it involves money or something like something that I would think is strange. Like if it brings somebody joy, no matter how temporary, then that falls in the category, and it doesn't harm anybody in any way. That falls in the category of hobby, and I. I mean, I'm a big hobby person, so I, I don't, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's just like a way to, to spend your downtime in life, maybe, is to like get a handbag and wear your bag and be excited about it. So it's more, I guess, morally neutral for me. I, th I think there's a difference between uh, ascribing value directly to a luxury good and buying that and looking for um, other people's uh, appreciation of that and getting satisfaction from them. Kind of what I keep saying about uh, outward satisfaction. Mm, yes, I like that, Noah.
so it's the it's the praise that they're seeking that we think is kind of where where you think the yeah they're, they're seeking the validation praise it's the external yeah, the valid validation validation it's the extrinsic validation it's not intrinsic oh so see, I need it is validation so I don't know what I don't know now because maybe I'm just justifying my own life like anything I do I'm like mom look at what I did like I am always seeking validation so I don't view that as wrong. Why do we think it's wrong to seek outside validation? I would say at first glance, because it doesn't serve anything except for your own satisfaction. Look, I don't yeah, think it's yeah. wrong necessarily to seek external validation, especially like we need to, it's part of us. It's like part of our ego, like it exists, but I think it can become excessive and self-destructive and wasteful um, and like a somewhat empty enterprise. Like, like, I don't know. Some, like I have friends who are like shopping is like meditative for me. And I'm just like, I don't get it. Like, I don't get, like, I don't get it. Like malls are horrible. <laughs> uh, place like the lights glaring, like, like fluorescent lighting and just, you know, people have too much cologne and perfume on walking around. Okay, where are you buying your watches then? Online shopping, okay? But <laughs> no, I actually most of them. I've I've won I've won most of them. All right, right. <laughs> this has all been an excuse for Akeem to brag about his running watches. <laughs> still be frugal and not value shopping. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I guess. I think if, I mean, if I'm going to be completely honest with myself, and I think this is probably true for most of us, um, when you, if we look at someone and think like, yeah, that person's pretty shallow, um, it is, does, we do tend to, I think, look down on that quality, at least to an extent. Um, and I guess I'm just puzzled as to why, um, I guess, what is what is it about being shallow that we look down on and is it that and i don't know i don't know is it is it that you don't care about it, it, i guess that it, it implies a lack of real caring maybe about other people and just only about that surface level caring it's just it's just like it just is such an empty pursuit like it doesn't help like like you said it doesn't like really hurt anyone arguably but it doesn't help anyone either um and it's sort of an unexamined way of living it just i don't know i think there's a way to be i think there's a way to have hobbies where you love like certain consumer items that do have you love them in a way that like you have depth i think there is that but i think that's few and far between i think most people just love it for the validation I think there are people that are super into like the nuance of like where the leather of their handbag comes from and who like designed the pattern and like they actually love it despite the trendiness, you know, of, of buying a nice handbag. Um, and I have more respect for that because they're not just like, they're not just a hobbyist. They are a enthusiast. Like they're an enthusiast. Yeah. That's the word. Um, like they pursue it with a sort of zest and passion. Um, 
So I guess I would differentiate the people who merely do it for validation versus the people who do it because they truly find like so they nuance. Need level, they need to have a certain level of interest and a certain level of excitement for you to classify it as like, that's a respectable hobby versus they're like, oh, I loved this. And so I saved up and spent all my money on it. And you're like, well, what's it made out of? And they don't know. Then you're like, <laughs> yes. And then I go, next real fan. <laughs> send the next one in now. <laughs> but I don't care if, if somebody knows a lot about some about their hobby or not. Like, I don't mind what people's Dude, hobbies are. It's all I, about know. the joy. If they're extracting joy. Now, when people become shallow in the way that they're no longer getting joy, such as like seeking validation via sometimes on social media, people can track like trends of their kind of a negativity that's associated with over time rather than like an excitement with the reward of, others validating them then yeah maybe that's not as constructive but if it's just bringing somebody joy i'm not going to judge the hobby so mckinley you're saying it doesn't matter if someone's shallow i think i i i can't really identify what shallowness is so that's just me projecting i like i don't mm -hmm. know what shallow is if i think maybe if it makes them unhappy then i would think negatively of it but if it's something like if people are into getting work done or something that I would like, or a lot of people would be like, that's shallow. If I talk to somebody long enough, they can usually convince me that I'm like, ah, this brings them joy. I'm glad they got a nose job. I don't know. It's just, I, I, I don't like necessarily believe in this idea of shallowness. I think it's just how I like need jerk react to others when I feel, I don't know, I'm confused or can't relate to it at first. I agree with that. I, I, I agree with you. I think it is a knee-jerk reaction to, like, not knowing someone. And when you truly get to know someone, you realize it, like, does bring okay. joy. Um, but then sometimes you get to know them and you're like, oh, shit, there's nothing there. Like... <laughs> and then, wait, so what is... Give me a breakdown of what that is, or a hypothetical. No, no, let's not get that. Let's not go there. <laughs> not good. I, um, can you guys hear me? Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. I just want to put in two little points, which is that, for one, I think that shallowness is something we disproportionately ascribe to women. So close. Oh, I heard something about it being about women. Katie, you're going to have to say all that. Katie, whenever you get caught up enough to hear us, we heard I have two points, and then, and then you cut out. Um, so you, you do something oh, okay. the way I, that you guys. I, can you guys hear me now? Yes, temporarily okay. we can. <laughs> Dang it! Okay, well I'll try to get it out quick. I I, I can hear you guys the whole time, and I, I guess you just can't hear me. So okay, let's try again. I think shallowness is something that we disproportionately ascribe to women. Like, I can almost never think of an example of someone that I know as a man being described shallow, a shallow. Um, so I think that that's something to unpack. And secondly, I don't think that there's anything, like, actually wrong with being whatever you might call shallow. I think that people just, like, people like having a reason to, like, think that they're better than somebody else and will come up with, like, any means to, like, satisfy that requirement, basically. Yeah, but what if they are better than some, everyone else? 
One. <laughs> I, I keep telling so you are. You actually are. No, no, so don't worry. no. And the second thing I would say is I don't agree that it's it's it tends to be ascribed to women. I think men are co- like considered like meatheads, like like sports guys, like they're considered you know beer drinking, fat, kind of unthinking. Like I think it's equally, if not more, uh, but probably equally ascribed to to men. Like the sim- same tropes are like it's like the what's it called the What's that gang of three, that old show, those three idiot dudes who just go and get themselves beat up? Dumb and Dumber. (laughs) The Three Stooges, Dumb and Dumber. Like, it's a huge trope for guys. But then you have Legally Blonde, right? But but Elle Woods is actually really smart. Um, So, and but like, no, there's similar negative tropes for women, like the dumb blonde or like the ditzy girl who doesn't know what she's doing. So, so, um, yeah, I'd like to push back on that just a little bit. I, oh, no, that's actually, that's actually. Oh, sorry, Katie, you go. Those are actually really good points, but I do think that there's something there's something different about just being uh, like given, just being considered stupid versus shallow, which I think is like I think the reason Legally Blonde got made is because it's that that's such like a cultural touch point that like oh blonde women are shallow and they like pink so they're stupid but i don't and and that there's also like an element of vanity about shallowness that i think is still more often to be ascribed to women like i said but i do think you're right there it's not like it's a hundred percent and zero well, women think- women are more vain <laughs> oh. <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> please, please support your claim. <laughs> I love. I know for a fact that he just decided to say this is just the most off the wall, yeah. <laughs> triggering thing possible. No, 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 no. I'm not saying the most triggering thing possible. Like, what? I do think women tend to be more vain than men. Why is that a key? Okay, wait, no, 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 wait. I gotta, I gotta interrupt because this is a big thing. Male-associated hobbies, which might not even be male-dominated, but male-associated hobbies aren't considered like there. There's less of a connection with maybe the financial aspect. Is a lot of female-associated hobbies, specifically fashion, anything to do with fashion, is typically labeled as vain if you're not interested in it or involved in it anyway where i i don't hear as often maybe it's because i'm a female so my ears are tuned to certain things um i don't hear as often somebody going that guy's so vain he went to like uh three football games last week like no i don't hear vanity necessarily associated with sports or things that we associate with fun and lot I agree, Mackenzie, and I just want to point out that there is no luxury good that I am enticed by or interested in, and Akeem just went on, like, a 30-minute tangent about how important his Rolexes are to him after we established <laughs> that luxury goods are shallow, so I just want to bring that part up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Neither Katie nor I in any luxury good, so there's... This crazy thing that maybe these are anecdotes. We are anecdotes. We are anecdotal <laughs> examples. All right, we are exceptions to the rule. All right. <laughs> um. So I think that maybe we can talk about shallowness in two different directions. I think vanity is definitely a part of it. Um. Because 
yeah, if you if you were to describe, you know, an extremely vain person as shallow, that kind of fits, I guess. Uh, we can at least imagine a way in which it fits. But you could also say that, like, you can imagine some, like, skirt-chasing dude who doesn't care at all about getting to know anyone on more than a surface level, and you could call him shallow. Um, and that's not, wow. it's less internalized. Um, to okay, direct Michael, it. Like, that's not less vanity than it is, I don't know, like... Michael, think about what you're saying, though. A shallow woman is someone who is vain about her own appearance, and your default association for what a shallow man is is also someone who is focused on the looks of a woman. Like, that's your default, okay? True, So I think true. That there's still some kind of an element of it's the surface-level approach of, uh, of looks of a woman are, like, so centered to this idea of breadth of these cultural things. So... I don't think yeah, being vain that makes necessarily sense. means you're shallow. Yeah, agreed. Okay, so I think I think women are a little bit more vain, but I like that that they care a little bit more about their appearance than men do. Like I appreciate that in women. Um, I don't I don't I don't actually mean it as a negative thing, but I do think women tend to care more about their appearance. No, society more about women's appearances. I, okay, I I don't sure. I. I I agree. Sure, yeah, society is made up of men and women. If what Akib is saying is true, I think it is likely because society cares more about women's appearances, so they kind of have to. What do we, what do we mean when we say society? We are society. Like society is made up of women and men who decide that women okay, care well, more about their appearance. So well, we say what is what is shallow though? Because I don't know if I actually. I don't think it's shallow. I don't think it's shallow that women care about their appearance. Is what I was saying. Okay. Firstly, Akib, it's not fair to say that just, oh, men and women make up society, so women are equal parts of this problem. We obviously live in a patriarchal society where things have been set up over hundreds and thousands of years to be this way. And I just want to point out that I am on the way to a job where it is listed in my contract, in my uniform requirements that I pick up every time I go to work. But for men, there's no requirement like that. So I don't think it's like women are intrinsically more vain and care about their appearances. They're just forced to in order to be taken seriously or to be respected or to have the same status level that men get if they just wake up and walk out of bed and look exactly how they look when they went to sleep. But what is, what is shallow and, and like, is it just vanity? Is that just another word for it? Or what is something no, like that? I think what shallow, shallow, what we started saying, what we kind of started conflating with vanities, shallow just means you, you don't you don't think beyond like you don't you don't have deep thoughts essentially so oh like someone whose life is all about shopping you're going to assume they're shallow because they don't have any other pursuits that involve you know helping mankind um live in a better world <laughs> which is so, not what vanity um, is okay so it's it's somebody that's just yeah, so self-absorbed that they maybe don't have empathy as far as, or it's truly like they just don't have thoughts other than like themselves. Like, I think. Okay, not not essentially not like not selfishness because it's more. Uh, I say it's less deliberate than that. Look, I'd like going back to what Mackenzie said earlier when she said that it's the knee-jerk reaction when you see somebody have like a hobby that you don't consider like to have depth to consider them shallow. Like I agree with that. And what you realize is when you explore somebody more deeply, you realize like most people are more rich internally than you could know from the surface. 
So like, did I like that. Did anybody see Jury Duty, the show on Amazon that like is all over the yeah. world, right? No. So good. Has, has anybody seen I Think You Should Leave? Yeah. Uh, not the new season. So good. The new season watched- is so good. Wait, wait, I just watched the new season last night and the part that you said about the watch breaking open and the springs going everywhere. I'm just so glad they know. Okay, wait, but the about jury duty is like this is sort of an average joe who at quick glance you're like oh he's i don't know considered attractive he's a white male he's straight or passing straight and like you're probably like this guy doesn't have or at least my reaction was like this guy doesn't have much to him it's going to be funny because there's these brilliant improvisers all around him and then you realize oh no this whole thing is to prove that the average joe can be a wonderful person that actually like a lot of times we assume everybody else around us isn't having deep thoughts or i do a lot when i'm overly confident and kind of asshole and then i go oh wait everybody can be just as complex as me even the guy that's fishing it just because i don't agree with his hobby doesn't mean he's like surface level so did you assume someone was boring because they're white straight cisgendered male (laughs) yeah that's that's (laughs) fair (laughs) <laughs> oh. White straight cisgender males wrote the Constitution. I had all of these preconceived notions that I had to just put on put on society, and I was like, "Oh my god, I got so much more from that show than I probably should have," because I d- I had all of these thoughts about like all these judgments prior to of this random guy. You're talking about jury duty, not I think you should leave, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's- <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um. So do we think then that maybe shallowness doesn't exist? Is that the conclusion we're coming to? It's just a, you don't know someone well enough? No, it can't well, can exist. If, if it does, it's <laughs> rare, but it's uh, it's just a label we put on people before we get to know them, I think. I think that shallowness is something that we all have and probably don't necessarily notice in ourselves. I think it's just like an aspect of a personality that someone can have more or less of, but like nobody is just a completely shallow person and that's the that's their entire personality i think it's just like being messy everybody's messy like people are dirty and they make messes but that doesn't mean that everyone's a messy person you know clean i'm clean <laughs> even the ubermensch that's what we're getting from philosophy club <laughs> no it's my first episode so oh, but keeps the ubermensch and keep was sort of the villain because he brought in his friend character when I listen, Akeem gonna... is the villain today. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ubermensch might be a villain. <laughs> that, that might be possible. Well, okay, like, if it's wrong to be like the best man, like, is <laughs> that really wrong? It's like a super villain speech. <laughs> um, listen to if if wait, are we okay to kind of shift gears into something else? Yeah, please. To be continued in part two. Thank you for philosophizing with us.